Heine, pee, Heine, pee, Heine, pee. Hini kargi wi. Waziregi, waga nakshana. Wajani wi na, jankishana, hini kargi wi na. Rachni pee, arajara wi. Pee, chi. Wow nakshana. Hamte e harmi he hamte. We hampoi cabra, carpanatani jay. Iji karek jawi. Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic and just a little giddy that I survived the heat wave. I sincerely hope everyone took care of, our, of each other and checked in on our elders and the little ones as well. Felt just like late July in Wisconsin, didn't it? Something about excessive heat and humidity that just makes me love this place. Could have used a tad bit more rain without the theatrics, though, in my opinion. These high winds, thunder, lightning, hail, and sirens going off. I'm too old. I can live without that stuff. Well, with so much going on in the world today, and there is always so much going on in the world today, I was thinking that maybe, Koreske, we could spend a couple of minutes together, shut out the outside world, and just focus on our little part of it. Koreske, we could figure out a couple of things today that might move our nation forward, and together we could implement these changes and create a brighter future for our elders and our children. First off, I just want to thank each and every one of you who takes a little bit of your valuable time and shares it with me by listening to this podcast. Time, being the most valuable gift our Creator has bestowed upon us, it is of the utmost importance that I value that commitment and provide you, the listening audience, with the highest quality entertainment that I can provide. I think one of the most entertaining and edifying aspects of this gig is the feedback that I receive from you, the listening audience. I thoroughly enjoy the texts, the emails, and phone messages that all of you share with me. Yeah, sometimes I'm not too thrilled when I give out incorrect information and have to be corrected by you the listening audience. But what's great about that is for the most part, you're correcting my facts. You're not calling me a bovine quad-pated city-fied moron. You're simply telling me I got my facts wrong. And I can work with that. That bovine thing is just rude. If you'd like to get in touch with uh, the podcast, ring me up if you have my number. I'm in my office pretty much 24-7, so I will answer the phone. If I don't answer right away, leave a message, and I will return the call. And we can conversate at a later time. If talking to me directly isn't your thing, fear not, fellow traveler. We can still communicate. My Gmail address is moneycucksick at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. Leave a message, and I will get back to you ASAP, if not sooner. Uh, I have a really good uh, track record for answering emails, so, uh, you know, please email the information to me, and I'll make darn sure to get back to you. Um, in addition to phoning in Gmail, we have lots of different ways to get in contact with the podcast. The Chipotle Facebook page is another way we try to stay in touch with the nation. We post original thoughts, but we also post thoughts and ideas from other nations. It's obvious we don't have all the answers, let alone the questions. 
But by sharing some of the ideas and executed plans from these other more successful nations, perhaps we can muster the courage to make changes. And that's one of the reasons we share the posts from the other nations. Anywho, we also post on Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. I do okay on Twitter. Not really happening with all of the other content on the platform. A lot of destructive information is shared. Masquerading is help. It's not. I really like content where people are building and creating. LinkedIn is pretty cool. I still have problems with it, though, because I can't get enough private business owners and creators to follow. A majority of the people on LinkedIn are professionals looking to create business links, obviously, and such, but so much is government money they're chasing or following that I find myself pulling back a little. I get building connections, but it's so disheartening when everyone is basically chasing government dollars. That's my problem, no. Instagram is a program I'd, platform I'd really like to utilize more of. I just have to get off my lard butt and go out and create more content. I'd like it to be strictly Ho-Chunk-centered content, but hey, create and post some content and we can worry about the rest later, right? Right. YouTube and TikTok is uh, something I'm really excited about. To be honest, I think it's something we should all be excited about. Not only for language, but just creative possibilities and information sharing. Nobody reads anything anymore, it seems. But me, obviously. But everybody has time to watch 20 minutes of YouTube shorts or TikTok videos. So let's all take advantage of this. I did want to jump in here and shout out, uh, give out some kudos to a couple of Ho-Chunks who are posting Ho-Chunk language content. Nothing crazy, but it's a start. Now, if they follow up and post more content, I'll give them an official Chipotle podcast kudo. But I'm going to wait and see if they follow up with more content first. Don't be shy, people. Let's see some videos out there. We got General Council 2023 coming up. Then there's the Nishla powwow. Then there's the Labor Day uh, Black River Falls powwow coming up. These are huge opportunities for creating content. We are, after all, the Ho-Chunk Wazijaha Chink. The people of the big voice who live amongst the pines. Well, let's start pe let people know who we are and what we are. This includes me as well, so I got to get out there and uh, start creating a lot more content. You know, hopefully more of it will be uh, Ho-Chunk-centric. Charles Darwin is credited as the father of the theory of evolution. He was credited with coining the expression, adapt or die. As it turns out, Darwin didn't coin the phrase although it would have fit into his theory of evolution. The quote came from a business professor at LSU in 1963 by the name, a man by the name of Leon Meganson. But the quote, adapt or die, coming from a professor, a business professor at that, makes the relevance of adaption all the more apt for this article. The full quote is, it is not the strongest species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one's most adaptable to change. Historically, the Ho-Chunk people were renowned for being a warrior society. This resonates today as Ho-Chunks who served or are serving in the United States military are routinely honored. A famous U.S. military quote is, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Now whether it is in the natural world or in the business world, survival is predicated on adaption. Beyond surviving is thriving. And if a business or nation wants to thrive, it must constantly adapt to change. 
Whether it's policy change, environmental change, social change, business must be prepared to adapt. In fact, many corporations employ people who are experts in observing trends and predicting potential change on the horizon so that the businesses may adapt ahead of time. In the insurance industry, actuaries, insanely smart mathematicians, are paid to predict the probability of property and casualty losses utilizing statistical models. The common thread of successful, successful business is adaption. Admittedly, I've never worked with my tribe, the Ho-Chunk Nation, but through the past three decades, I've observed what is very likely an environment where a common mantra just may be, well, this is how we've always done things. The fact that the nation has done precious little in the way of diversifying its business portfolio since the signing of its gaming compact in 1992 is a clear indication that this way of thinking is highly prevalent. I've had many conversations with family and members, family members and fellow Ho-Chunks who either had or still work for the nation. I'm often told that my outside perspective is spot on. This is how we've always done things. Now as I scan LinkedIn and other social media platforms and see so many other indigenous nations doing so many exciting, progressive, and profitable things, I gotta ask my own nation, this whole this is how we've always done things approach. How's that working out for us? Look, I'm damn proud to be a Ho-Chunk. I know I'm a descendant of a people who have historically endured tremendous hardships at the hands of the federal government. The amount of grit, determination, stubbornness, and yes, adaptation. It had to have taken our forefathers just to survive was monumental. To borrow the adage from the military, our great-great-great-grandparents, and those more recent, had to adapt, improvise, and overcome. I'm proud that we were once honored, respected, and even feared by indigenous nations near and far. We were looked upon to talk with the Creator. We were looked upon for help and knowledge. We were looked upon for counsel. We were fearless leaders in every sense of the words. And I get that when our elders organized to get federal recognition as a nation in 1963, it was a seismic event for our nation, our Ho-Chunk nation. We were already a tribe well before the Europeans came to this continent, but we became federally recognized as a government entity in 1963. And I get that since 1994, we reestablished ourselves as who we really are, Ho-Chunk, and not Winnebago. I'm proud of all that we've been able to overcome. But when we established a government that maintained a political stranglehold over our businesses, we inadvertently choked off our potential. The nature of a government bureaucracy tends to breed complacency. Workers are lulled into that sense of, this is how we've always done things. Talk to anyone who's ever worked for a city, county, state, federal, or tribal government, and they'll likely tell you that they become numb in their monotonous duties. In, the, in those respective entities, the elected policymakers are the ones who might affect change. The workers just carry out the bureaucratic duties imposed on them by policy. Government workers necessarily required to 
Government workers are not necessarily required to be creative or required to adapt. It may therefore be argued that keeping Ho-Chunk businesses under the umbrella of a government may inevitably lead to complacency and stunt its growth. After all, it's the way we've always done things. There are myriad changes happening in the business world on a constant daily basis. The global economy is constantly shifting as a result of war, government changeover, and climate change, to name just a few. More locally and directly, the U.S. government can be seen chipping away and trying to erode our sovereignty. I ask, what are we doing as a nation to prepare ourselves for changes that may inevitably impact us as a people? As I do ad nauseum on the Chipotle podcast and here, I urge our legislators and president to honor the General Council Resolution of 26 and separate our business and government. I implore our government to relinquish all business responsibility to 12 clans. Call upon our ancestors' spirit and courage. Our businesses need to be nimble and have the ability to adapt to changes that are happening faster and faster with continuing rise of technology. Our businesses, present and new, need to have the latitude to shift into emerging opportunities and capitalize for all of our benefits. If we seek not just to survive, something we've been doing these past 30 years, but to thrive, we cannot afford to continue with the malaise of, this is how we've always done things. As Professor Leon Meganson said, it is not the strongest species that survives, nor the most intelligence, but the ones most adaptable to change. Such adaptability will not occur with businesses under government. It is well past time to adapt or die. Good evening, everybody. Um, tonight, I just thought I had a couple questions. Um, I saw an email that was being circulated, and it had to do with our um, new attorney general. Um, so I thought I'd ask um, Brother John Warner to come on and um, see if he can help me clear up the issue, because I was uh, rather easily confused. John, are you there? Yeah, how you doing, Shelby? Not too bad, not too bad, sir. You doing good? Oh, yeah, you know, working, working, working. It's been a hot day. Good deal. Yes, it has been. Yes, it has been. Almost passed out five or six times, but I struggled through it. Um, I received an email, and it had to do with uh, Attorney uh, Attorney General Gardner. And one of the things that confused me was that he's, President Green Deer said he was acting Attorney General. Now, when I looked up the qualifications, I don't believe he was in the um, the correct departments, according to what the rules say. Um, even though he's the attorney general, should he know this? Well, I would imagine, but, you know, lawyers don't always check the laws, uh, the most recent updates, until it's applicable to them. So th the way I look at it and the way I, I was, I read the email, I, I got a copy of it. And basically what I'm understanding is uh, 
Attorney Gardner is from the outside, um, but uh, President Green Deer uh, named him as his execu- acting executive director. So where this all is coming from, the confusion is the legislature, in their infinite wisdom, changed the confirmation uh, the confirmation act for uh, the executive directors in June of this year, June twentieth, twenty twenty three. So you know, I don't know if they were trying to. Uh, prepare to mess with the president because what they've done is they've kind of totally messed up the whole process of how it is. So it's almost difficult, impossible or difficult uh, for a president and the incoming president to have anybody run his, uh, run his departments. And it's because of that little statement that was in the email on executive director vacancies. And that's under um, the, the um, confirmation process, subsection five, I believe, or section five, um, and it says very easily, it says the uh, an acting director, when a vacancy occurs for any reason, the president or president pro tem shall name an acting executive director of the department to serve until an executive director for that department is confirmed. An acting executive director shall be an individual. So keyword is shall be an individual from within the department chosen by the president or president pro tem to serve as the head of the department until the legislature has confirmed an executive director. The president or president pro temp shall provide notice to the legislature of any such appointment within three working days of such appointment. So, you know, they kind of messed up, they being the legislator, really messed up the whole confirmation process. And I, I don't know if they were trying to mess with John when he come in, but they, they, they kind of forced him to act almost illegally because, you know, there's not a lot of people that I would imagine in being a, pres- a new president that you would that you would know who's in the department and then be able to name that person, right? Well, it's kind of confusing because it's almost like they're sandbagging him because this wasn't in effect when he was president last time. I'm sure he no, got to name wasn't. his interim, uh, his interim directors or acting uh, directors, and you know, no, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I mean, you put out the people's names, and then you get them confirmed. But this time, things are different. They sure are, and that's because in, in the new law, they eliminated the term interim director from the uh, from the executive uh, director confirmation process law. So, and they've changed it. They, cha- you know, it, it was good enough for the for almost seven years before they before uh, Marlin got into office, right? Because if you look at the history of the law and you look at the changes that occurred to it, and it's, it's up in the front of the, very front of the law, um, it was amended uh, in June, or wait, yeah, in June 13th, 2023. The previous amendment was in, uh, on 8-21-2020, and then before that, the only modification was in 99. So it was good for, what, 21 years? And then all of a sudden, Marlin comes in and they change the, the way the executive directors are confirmed. So when John John was president, or Mr. Greendew was the president, he could appoint an 
an acting director. So they had a, a acting director could only be in that position for about seven to uh, seven to fourteen days, right? And then they'd have to submit a name, and then whatever name was submitted would then become an interim director, and the interim director. Uh, is still actually in the ERA. Did you know that? No, I was I was looking for it and I couldn't find that uh, provision. Under definitions uh, okay. in the ERA, uh, at appointment, that would be I believe page sixteen, uh, subsec uh, D appointments subsection three. It says interim appointment. Interim appointments apply to department executive directors. See confirmation process of the executive directors of the Ho-Chunk Nation Act. So they changed this confirmation act, but they didn't change the ERA and eliminate the interim. And it also tells in the ERA what the acting does. So the acting appointment is the temporary assignment of a person to a vacant position in the absence of the employee who normally fills such position. Persons appointed to acting assignments must possess the minimum qualifications for that position. Such person persons shall have limited responsibilities and authority of the position unless otherwise directed by the appointing authority. So in the ERA, there's an acting appointment and an interim appointment, right? Right. So that's the employee law. But in the confirmation process, the Confirmation Act, Confirmation Process Act, what they did is they eliminated, they being the legislators, eliminated the interim appointment. Right? So, yeah. So now we're just working with an acting. So now we're just working with an acting. So John, President Green Deer couldn't appoint a, a he couldn't appoint a director interim from you know to to submit a name. So they made they basically the legislature forced him to act illegally and and make his appointments acting directors because there's no language for an interim director in the confirmation process. All right, let me walk back with me on this one. It says that the the president has to. Notify the legislature three days when he's making these appointments. So three days, the legislature gets these uh, acting appointment, um, what do you call it? So he appoints the acting directors, and he has to notify the legislature within three days. So during these three days, nobody in the legislature thought to notify the president that this was uh, basically malfeasance. and that Pretty much. They were setting him up inadvertently to break the law when he just got into being president. Why wouldn't anybody in the let if they just amended this June 20th, there's 13 of them there, plus a couple of lawyers that we have. Nobody thought to notify the president that what he was doing was breaking the uh, statutes. I, I I don't know. You know, he, he didn't have any. He, unfortunately, he didn't even have a cabinet. And he didn't have an attorney general to, to help advise him. It just so, seems strange. A couple of days ago, we were at the confirmation, I mean, at the uh, swearing in. So all 13 people were there, plus a judiciary. And nobody could pull them aside and say, hey, hey, we got a problem with our language. And they just let him let him go ahead and do that? 
I would imagine they did. I, you know, that's why I say I, I don't know if they set them up for failure or, or intentionally or, or, you know, what the deal is. Or they were trying to get, get after Marlin. Why would you even change the confirmation process 20 days before a new administration comes in? To make it more difficult for that president to have a, a cabinet? And then are you trying to force him to use the people from inter internal of the department? Before he brings in new names, where does this where does this leave us at? Kind of like legally, because if what you did violates the statutes, is this just a you know we're just going to sweep this one under the rug and uh, you know everybody gets a mulligan here because nobody knew what the hell was going on? Well, I would imagine unless. Well, then you, I, I guess it'd have to be the attorney general prosecuting the attorney general for violating the, the, the president for violating the law or, or, you know, uh, the, the, the tribal member, you know, if they see this as malfeasance could, could act on it, you know, cause it's a violation of the law, but you know, it's a catch 22 because the legislature set president green deer up for failure you know, and and when you take a component out of a law and you change it, the process totally into a new administration, I, I think they're just setting them up for failure. That's what I think. I don't, I don't know. I was hoping that they, you know, would act better, but I guess they don't. You know, they got all those attorneys. You would think that if they're going to take the interim out of the uh, interim interim appointment, out of the confirmation process, then they would go back and amend the ERA to take the interim uh, appointment out. Right, because they've got both of those in there. In the ERA, both of those words. acting and interim. Right, and it says just, you know, go see, you know, um, confirmation. But... Uh, There's nothing in the Confirmation Act. So, so it's it's I, it's a total it's a you know he could have been acting illegally and it, he forced forced by the legislature because they mess with the law. Again, you know these guys. That's why it's important to understand what's going on with constitution and law. You know I don't know if those guys get that. Well, this kind of goes back then to our former attorney general. He didn't see anything because this goes up for 45 days review, right? So this is this just isn't just you and me and other uh, tribal members, Ho-Chunk citizens. I mean, the attorney general should be looking at this, right? And he should be looking at, you know, irregularities, incongruities, things that don't mesh. So what are we looking at there? Are we looking at uh, malfeasance on his part or just he was going out the door and he's already had his bags packed? I imagine he was already out the door and his bag was packed and nobody brought issue and the president didn't veto the the process. So they just slid it past. I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of stymied on this one. You know, why would, why would they even amend it to begin with other than to be spiteful or to impact the new administration coming in? Because right now it looks like, you know, the president is, is acting illegally or acted illegally. His cabinet has been approved or some of his cabinet has been approved anyway uh, as of today. 
um, not all of them, but you know, it's, it's, um, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you move forward? You know, they, they, the way they wrote this law, this is a bad law, the confirmation process uh, of executive directors. This is a, this is an example of the legislature using its authority um, to punish the executive and to mess with the executive. Because really, this law, uh, you know, this is where they, they, they mess with Mark. They actually do it to all the presidents. This isn't, this isn't really a first case, but they just, they just, have, they just, uh, they stepped up their game when it was Marlin. You know, in the past, I've seen uh, when President Green Deer was a, a president, when uh, Wilford Cleveland was president. You know, the legislature over time plays these little games of "I'm going to deny your guys, your people," just till we get somebody we want that we can uh, strong on, right? And that's what they've done in the past. This is an over overreach of the legislative power on the executive. And me, you know, this this conflicts with uh, what's what another law. So how do you fix it? Well, you need to change that law or you need to change the other law. And then even this one, gee, you know what? how hard it is to get an acting director? If you're from within the department, right? You're right. And you're acting director and the legislature declines you. You can't ever act as a as a director again. What? So it says that in in the in the sections that once you've been denied, you can never be uh, an acting executive director again. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. So I work in the Department of Business. Um, the president. I don't want to be the executive director. But the president puts my name up, right, to, to act temporarily, which used to be a simple thing as a status change. And and then it would be an acting position. And it's only for, you know, seven to 14 days until he can come up with a name. And, you know, if if the legislature ever found out, oh, John Warner's there, let's let's deny him right away, you know, because they put it on the agenda immediately. And then I'd never be able to act until a position was filled. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what they've done in this. They're hamstrung the executive uh, in the process. They, they, they're just, you know, that's that overreach that, that needs to go away. That's, this is one of those laws that needs to revert uh, a general counsel. It needs to be kicked back to a 1999 version um, because it was, uh, it was, these changes were instituted to, uh, impugn the executive and it was uh yeah that's what it looks like and it was for marlin you know they just wanted to impugn marlin and the reality is we we should just change it we the the general counsel should appeal this law repeal it and revert it back to the 99 version and that way you know president green Deer can do his job and get his cabinet and we really need to evaluate how the legislature uh, approves those confirmations because I've seen some pretty, pretty uh, you know qualified directors get shot down because people don't like them, and it's, it really doesn't matter. It's a matter the legislature should just, as long as they're qualified and they meet the requirements, and there's no 
there's no major issues with a person, then they should just approve it. It's not it's not their cabinet. You know what I mean? Right. And this the legislature constantly overreaches and impugns the executive. And that's where I have that problem. If the president wants that person, let the president deal with that person. Right. He sinks or swims with his choice. Fire him or yeah. him or her. Them. All right. So, well, let's try to wrap this ugliness up. Um, legislature enacted this law just a couple days before he was going to appoint his new um, cabinet. About a month before he came into office. So everybody that he nominates has to be within the departments. Initially, correct. And apparently nobody notified the president or any of the uh, nominees. Or they didn't look. But the legislature, during the uh, conference, I mean, the um, when everybody was getting, uh, God darn it, what's the word? Not confirmed, but... Um, Nominated. No, when when everybody got their new jobs, when president was um, took the oath, the swearing of the the uh, took his oh, oath of office, again. right? Nobody nobody from the legislature walked up and said, "Hey, we got a problem." That I find a problem like with. It. Doesn't sound like it till the till the general counsel advocate had looked at it and said, "Hey, I'm confused. How do I go about doing this?" Right. So the GC advocate notices this brings it up puts out an email it's after the fact president has already acted uh quote unquote illegally and the legislature stood by and watched him do it pretty much what it looks like all right well that's pretty much what i got uh you want to add anything before i cut you loose no, I don't think I got anything on this one. I just, you know, these are some of those laws that the GC really has to evaluate. And, and we got to remember, we, the people of the general council, need to keep the legislators in check. Because when there's bad law, we just need to revert it to an earlier statute. And then, again, I believe that we should force the legislators, if they're amending laws, to put it forth in referendums and or bring it forth to the general counsel because they've got, you know, they have no reason. They, they do this too often and it needs to stop. And and it's only so they can retaliate uh, against the other branches of government. So that's my thought anyway. All right. I don't want to be dead horse. I just want to let it go. But um, yeah, it'd be nice if the legislature stood up and said, yeah, we, uh, we pulled the screw here and uh, we'd like to, uh, you know, apologize and uh, no harm, no foul. But, uh, yeah, I think we're going to die holding our breath on this. So uh, you have a good night, and uh, we'll talk again soon. You bet. See ya. Later. At a recent finance commission meeting, a legislature asked the casino executive manager, what can we do to help you? Well, to be honest, I couldn't believe my ears. I was floored. Did I just hear a legislator, a member of the sitting Ho-Chunk Nation's legislature, ask a casino executive manager what could they do to help? To be fair, said legislator just spent the preceding minutes lighting this executive manager up in front of everyone in attendance on his casino's performance but let's look at the bright side. The legislator asked the casino manager 
what they could, what the legislature could do to help. Progress. Now, let's take the legislator at his word and see what the Ho-Chunk legislature can do for our casinos. The engines that drive the Ho-Chunk nation forward. Well, there's this thing called comp and class that has to be addressed. Whatever happened to it? During the end of President White Eagle's term of office, he conducted a listening tour. One of the stops was at Wisconsin Dells at the White Wanaishkuni Hochira. Now, as I recall, that uh, someone asked about the construction of the Beloit Casino, and someone else chirped in that we should take care of our present employees before we construct a new gaming facility. President White Eagle took to the microphone and explained that he was in favor of taking care of the present employees before the question of Beloit was addressed. He explained that presently the nation was working on a comp and class study and that as soon as the work was completed, the compensation problem would be sorted out and competitive wages could be had by employees. Cue the crickets. Now, I could be all wrong, but one of the big issues facing our casinos has been the lack of personnel and competitive compensation for said personnel. This just didn't happen within the last couple of days or weeks either. This was a problem before the pandemic. Not as acute as it's become since that time, but it's a problem. This comp and class is not the first time this has been brought before the legislature. This will be the second time in just recent history that this has been brought up, a study initiated, and then, say it with me, bupkis. Am I wrong here? Has the nation completed comp and class studies, or whatever they're called, and implemented the findings? If the nation has done this, I apologize, and I will immediately work to remove my head from my nether region. However, I know that cost of living adjustments have been made in terms of wages and salaries, but what are the studies? The only reason it's important is no one wants to work for the wages we are presently paying. Hey, legislature. You really want to help the casinos become more profitable? How about create a business entity that does nothing but work for the business entity? It has no allegiance to the nation. It owes its existence to the business entity. Oh, sure, the nation will tax the profits or take a big bite of the annual revenue. But it will be agreed upon mutually and everyone will understand their roles. The nation gets paid come hell or high water. Business is bad? Pay me. Oh, you had a fire? Pay me. You got hit by lightning? Pay me. What, we already have a business entity? Get the heck out of here. Really? What's it called? Twelve clans? No. Really? How long have we had this business entity? That long? How come we don't use them? Oh... Here's the thing, legislature. Instead of having these dog and pony shows with the EMs parade in front of you, the business entity would have seen the situation well ahead of time and addressed the situation in a timely manner. If the powers that be failed in their duties, retru retribution would be swift and merciless, and a fresh young face full of piss and vinegar would be sitting in that chair, fixing the situation and learning from their predecessor's failures. They wouldn't be worrying about upsetting their chunshka or their chewing because if their Dega or Chujung were sitting in that chair, they'd be more than qualified and the situation would have been dealt with years ago like it should have been. 
And while we're on the topic of this mythical business entity, 12 clans, didn't the legislature in 12 clans just recently have an owner's rep meeting? Well, what happened? Was there a meeting? It seems redundant because I think there's an annual owner's rep meeting where 12 clans comes in and asks for more money so that they can actually do the job they are created to do. And the legislature politely listens while looking at their phones or tapping on their laptop before they collectively say no. If the legislature is always saying no, why don't they publish the meeting of the minutes? Or do they? I should look before I shoot off my mouth. But I don't think they do. One last thing before I wrap this week's podcast up. One of the things that I've been on lately is what I see as a systemic effort by the use of federal courts to erode our sovereignty and finally eradicate indigenous peoples as a political entity. This business that I'm always going on about, this business, this is the new hunting grounds. It's the new foraging grounds. Look into our history and see we fought to protect these lands because they were ours, yes, but also because that's how we got our food and shelter. If you cannot see that this business, these business arenas, are one and the same as our hunting and foraging lands, we're lost. We are doing the work of the federal courts and all those who bring suits in an attempt to destroy us piecemeal. By doing nothing, we are regressing and all those around us are growing strong on our land. Back to the topic at hand. What can the legislature do to help the casinos? A. Stop micromanaging the facilities. If the legislatures can do a better job, great, fire all the EMs and have the legislators manage the facilities as well. When our EMs are frog-marched in front of the legislature every month, that's what the legislator appears to be saying, so just get it over with and fire them. B. Whatever happened to comp in class? Is it still a thing? And if the nation paid for it, how about publishing the study? Let's all have a look-see and see what a professional outfit feels we should be doing concerning this issue. C. Have the legislature cede 12 clans control of Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison and give them the opportunity to develop Beloit. Let's come back in a year and revisit our decision. D. Can we publish the minutes of the owner's rep meetings? We already know that none of our legislatures is qualified to oversee business operations, yet they are making decisions that affect all of our futures, and we don't even know what's being discussed. E. I'd like to see a general council resolution for the legislature and 12 clans to work out an agreement within six months, giving control of Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison and a right to construct and operate the Beloit Casino without any interference or input from the legislature. Well, I'd like to thank the, legis the Ho-Chunk legislature for giving the executive managers an offer to help. I'm sure the EM's priorities are quite different from mine and that perhaps the legislature was sincere in his offer to help. Only time will tell. Hanachpi Narajiwina Jige Hanichawigi Hideki Kara U Wianjay